from the NLRPD to KTHV to behind the microphone. It's Scott Romine with Guatney Unplugged. I've got in studio, and there's not very many of them, exotic car uh, collector type guys here in central Arkansas. Larry Flaxman. Larry, how are you? Good. How are you doing, Scott? You have got to be one of the most fascinating guests we've had on. You are you're a local boy, right? I, I am, yes, sir. Where'd you grow up? Well, I, I grew up on the East Coast, so I'm not technically local, but I've been in Arkansas for about 30 years. It's so, it's the place to be, isn't it? It is, absolutely. I couldn't live anywhere else. You know, after living here for so many years, I don't think I could either. Other states, they don't understand sweet tea. They don't have catfish restaurants. I'm yeah. just not going to survive. That's exactly right. <laughs> So you are a best-selling author, but you're also really, this is a car show, you're really into the really unique cars. I am, yeah. Uh, so uh, tell us, how'd you get into writing the books? Oh gosh, how did I get into writing books? So, you know, for my entire life, I've basically had a, a burning desire to, to know things, to learn things, things that are outside of what are normally taught in school and, and traditional academia. So I've always had an interest in all things unusual paranormal if you will sure um and anything from ancient egyptology ufology uh extra zoology basically anything that's got an ology at the end of it i have an interest in um anything strange a- anything strange and weird um i've had an interest in and as i've as i've found myself getting older i have come to the realization of my own mortality and as I've seen friends and family and, and um, folks that I'm close with pass away, I think my focus is, has turned more to the paranormal side of things and trying to find some explanations uh, to those things, really to find answers for myself. I, I have been very unabashedly unashamed uh, of, of being honest about my motivations for being in the paranormal field, uh, and that is to um, find answers for myself. And a, as kind of a byproduct of that, I've had the opportunity to write some books, uh, do a lot of speaking, basically help educate people on the, the things that I've found for myself. Now, whether that's that's something that resonates with them or if it's something that they truly believe in, obviously I'll leave that up to them. But um, yeah, I like... I like You like that stuff. I do. I like reading and researching and, and being involved in, in all things unusual. And this has led you to being on things like... One of my dad's favorite shows is ancient aliens on is it history channel it's on the history channel yes, you've sir. been on the show i have i'm a multiple repeat guest on that show uh, very fun show to do uh, you know my approach is is one of of rational skepticism uh you know I, often i get the i get the um, incorrect tag of being a skeptic but i'm really not I, i'm just a very rational uh individual that approaches things from a scientific perspective. So when Ancient Aliens contacted me, they wanted me to uh, basically provide kind of an alternate view, a uh, different viewpoint uh, than, than Giorgio and uh, some of the other folks on the show, which which I was happy to do. Sure. It's something that's interested me for years. It's something that I've done a lot of personal research in. Um, so the ability to kind of mix science with um, unusual uh, theories, I think, was a, was a was a big hit. And you volunteer some with Plastic County Sheriff. I do. I do a lot of volunteer stuff. Actually, um, I have my own 501c3 nonprofit foundation as well um, called the Bridge of Compassion, and we feed and clothe the homeless. So I, I'm very, um, very much a service-oriented person. 
I wanted to ask you, because when I was a cop full time, I spent a year and a half on midnights listening to Art Bell, Art who we recently lost yeah. him. Did you? I think you had the chance to go on Coast to Coast. I Is did. that true? Yeah, I've been on Coast to Coast several times, both under uh, Art and then under uh, George. Did so, you? So you met Art or talked to him on the phone, I guess. Yes. Yeah. What was the topic that when you got to talk to him? Um, I think that was one of the first shows that I did. And I think that was about my first book, 1111. Um, it was about number synchronicities, people that continue to experience repetitive sequences of numbers throughout their life, people that wake up at 222 every morning or 333, or every time they look at their watch, it's a specific time. It's, you know, 333 in the, in the afternoon. Is it just chance? You'll have to read the book. <laughs> there there is actually some science behind why why those repetitive number sequences happen. And you have written a book about deja vu. I have. I feel like we've done this interview before. <laughs> we might have. <laughs> Maybe in a parallel reality. How do you research something like that? Because that happens to everyone. I mean, it's like in the Matrix, isn't it, where there's a glitch in the Matrix? So, so deja vu specifically um, is probably one of the most well-researched um, mind anomalies. Uh, there is actually a scientific explanation for it. Um, there are different types of, of deja vu. Obviously, there are situational deja vu. Uh, there are geographic deja vu. You feel like you've been to a specific location before. Um, but for the most part, there is a scientific understanding. And without getting into all the nuts and bolts of it, basically for um, situational the explanation is there is a latency between the time that your optic nerve sees something or between your, the time your eye sees something, the information transmits through your optic nerve and then is processed through your brain. So you actually, in effect, are living in the future to a certain extent. You see things a millisecond before your brain is actually able to process it. And there are times where your brain gets kind of overloaded with sensory information and that information that's flowing in from your, your eyes and ears and uh, other senses tend to kind of get lost in the mix. And then you have that experience like, oh, my gosh, I've been here before or I've seen this before. Because, in effect, you you have milliseconds prior to. Isn't that it. wild? It is, yeah. Well, it we're is. very much a car show. i got to ask you about, you've written a book about could you travel in a DeLorean? <laughs> <laughs> There's yeah. a car angle on time travel. You wrote a book about time travel. I did, yeah. And actually, we actually referenced uh, Back to the Future in that book a few times, I think. I've uh, always heard that if it were possible, you could go forward in time, but you could never go backwards. So that's one of the prevailing theor theories. Um, certainly, there are, there are ideas both for forward and backward uh, time travel. There, there's a, a variety of, of problems with backward time travel from from a scientific perspective, but uh, from everything we've seen and, and some of the things that we're starting to understand about reality, um, there is certainly a great possibility that in, in the next 100 plus years, we, we might actually have the capability to somewhat uh, travel in the future. There is, a, there is a concerted effort by some very, very smart folks uh, to try to figure out that, that problem. Um, Einstein believed that it certainly was possible to travel um, if you could exceed the speed of light. But now we're starting to understand, especially with our understanding of time. So time is a human construct. Sure. T time is a human construct. It is not linear. We basically, as humans, created the concept of time to track the progression of events. But in nature, time doesn't exist. Everything is, was, and will be at the same time, which, you know, if you think about that from, from kind of a metaphysical perspective, that sounds kind of really woo-woo and out there. But 
it is what it is. There is no such thing as the past. There is no such thing as, as the future. There's only now. But from from that perspective, if we have the there's there's certain things that scientifically need to happen before uh, there is a viable means of of transportation uh, in time, whether it's back or forwards. And you know some of those things now are, are well outside of our technological capabilities. Um, the last thing that I read, and it's it's been probably a week or two ago, um, was that scientists now believe probably the best evidence or the best ability that we would have to travel uh, would be to somehow be able to harness the um, speed of a wormhole. Basically, if we could hit a wormhole, uh, we could do it. We could we could do it um, as you drop through the through the the mouth of the the wormhole. Of course, we need to have wow. some sort of um, exotic <laughs> material to keep from being crushed by the, the gravitational well, force. and a so, flux capacitor. Yeah, the flux You're going to have to have a flux did, capacitor. Did you see that at the car show Saturday? Oh, yes. And uh, we talked a little bit about what your books are, are about, but I want to ask you about your hobby. You're, this is a car show, and you're very much into the car and motorcycle thing, like I am. We, uh, But you have kind of ventured into the exotic car thing, and I can say that when I was 12, 15, 16 years old, or even last year, I had Lamborghini posters everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted that Testarossa on Miami Vice. You probably <laughs> did too. Yep. And uh, that is, you know, I wanted to have drive the General Lee and have a Lamborghini Countach. So I'm halfway there. What was it for you that sparked your interest in the exotic cars? Gosh, you know, Scott, I don't even know. When I was a little kid, I was like probably pretty typical of most other kids my age i had that poster of the countach on the wall the yes. white the white countach the white on the black background yeah. and then there was a black one with a wet ground with it kind of reflecting I remember that everyone one. had both of those posters absolutely yeah yeah so i guess it started with that um yeah i mean it, that was i guess my first um introduction to exotic cars and you know back when the countach first came out i mean it was so revolutionary oh, it's awesome i mean it was it was angular and stylistic and it, it had all of the um the styling cues that you didn't see in american cars at the time way ahead of its time way ahead of its time remember auto man the tv filmed. show no I don't they remember used that a countach on a show called auto man no i don't remember that and show. also the beginning of cannonball run i remember that yeah and i remember the driver of that one Catherine you know? bach yeah yeah but you know is it the posters that started it for you I, you know, I think it's the posters, but I think it's also the uniqueness of them. I, I, I consider myself a very abstract person. I, I tend to kind of gravitate toward more unusual things rather than kind of follow the status quo. I tend to kind of live life to myself. Um, so I Nothing think wrong with that. <laughs> the, the fact that you just don't see those cars all the time, you know, you see every time you, you are going someplace, you look out of your front windshield you basically see the same cars all the time. Sure. I mean, it's different colors maybe, but basically the same uh, types of cars. But with exotics, it's it's quite a bit more rare than that. Um, it's something that I think expresses, I've come to find has ex it, it is a better expression of my personality uh, than a standard production sure. vehicle. Now, you started with a Ferrari. Which one? No, I didn't start with the Ferrari. You didn't start with a no, Ferrari? I started with some other cars before that. The Ferrari was probably my, my first big, uh, really big exotic car purchase. Um, no, actually, my very first, I guess, quasi-exotic car was a Porsche 944. Okay. That would have been my very first sure. one. Um, 
went from that to a Porsche 928, which was cool. That was the car that was in uh, Risky Business. Um, went from that to a Porsche 356 that had been restored, uh, which was kind of cool. And then from there, it just went crazy. I, I've started um, looking at and purchasing BMWs. Um, what was the Ferrari? So the Ferrari... You want to know the story? Oh, the yeah. Too? Yeah, but don't say what the, I, I, the dealer I that. I won't. But All right. So around 2004, maybe 2005, when the Corvette C5 first came out, I was I was very interested in the Z06 version of it. I thought, wow, this car just looks amazing. I mean, oh, yeah. It's, it's got the style that I'm looking for. It's unique. Um, it, you don't see everyone driving these things. I want one of those. So I did some research and I found that there actually was a, a dealer here in town that had one. It was a black uh, C5Z06. Uh, and I went to the dealership um, to, to look at the vehicle and, and really I was going to purchase it. I, I had full <laughs> intentions of, of driving away in my, my dream car. You had your first book had come out. You yep. were going to pay cash. First book had come out. I was going to pay cash. I really wanted to kind of reward myself for some of the hard uh, work that I and did. And this was not a Guatney dealership. It was not. No, it was it was not a Guatney dealership. <laughs> and uh, so I went to the dealership and walked in, and it was on the showroom floor, and walked over to it and I was just mesmerized. I mean, it was beautiful. It was black. It was gorgeous. It, it, it represented everything that, that I had not had prior, uh, with the, with my experiences with Porsche and sure. BMW and stuff. I mean, it was, you know, it was fast and it was, it was a big, it had a huge engine and, and it was American muscle. So as I'm walking around the car, just kind of ooing and eyeing over it, I noticed out of the corner of my eye that there was a salesman that was kind of eyeing me up from the other side of the showroom. Didn't come over to make contact with me, never um, asked, you know, can I help you? So finally, I kind of walked over to him and he looks at me and he's like, can I help you? And I said, I'm interested in this vehicle. So if you ever walked into a place and you instantly felt like you were like not welcome there, like you sure. Were, like out of place. So I got that feeling immediately. And this, he's eyeing me up from, from head to toe. And he says to me, in all seriousness, he says to me, um, if you're really interested in this vehicle, you need to come back with your father. Oh man. So, you know, as a, as a mid thirties person who has done well financially and sure. is really serious about purchasing this vehicle, that just really rubbed me wrong. What a turn off. Absolutely. So I stormed out of the dealership vowing never to return to to that one again in fact all these years later i've still have have never uh let that dealership live that down i will never send any of my business that way and certainly would never tell any of my friends if you'd have come to guatney you'd be a corvette guy now absolutely <laughs> so i was so upset by that though that i immediately drove down to dallas texas where i knew that there was just a plethora of, of different types of cars and I went to a Chevy dealer down there, and I saw and test drove the Z06. They had one, uh, same color, exact same car. Test drove that, ended up driving a, a Viper as well while I was down there. Uh, and across the street from the dealership, uh, there was a, a used, um, I guess, high-line auto dealership as sure. well. So, you know, I thought, well, I'm down here. Why don't I go over there and kind of check out what's what uh, the selection is over there? So I went over there um, and walked through the front doors, and it was a completely different experience. Um, the person 
actually I was mobbed by salespeople. There was probably four of them that came up to me all at once. Um, but they were so nice to me and, and they were asking me, you know, what are you interested in? What is your budget? What are you looking at, at wanting to use this vehicle for? So we ended up looking at, there was several Ferraris. I ended up looking at, uh, there was a Lotus at the time. Wow. Um, cool stuff. Ones too. Yeah. Some really cool stuff. And I ended up leaving with a Ferrari. Ferrari, which number? Uh, my first one was the 355. 355. And I drove that thing back home, and I thought my wife was going to kill me. You know, I've always thought that even if you could afford the car, the maintenance on those would be unbearable. Is that true? You know, I, I think to a lot of to a large extent, I think that's that's kind of a misnomer. Um, obviously, when you're when you're purchasing a vehicle of that price. Um, service is, is something that you think about and you think right. about, you know, long-term maintenance costs. And, you know, you, I've always, I'd always heard stories about oil changes that cost $500 or uh, $3,500 timing belt changes right, and things like this. Out, yes. Things like that. Yes. That certainly is a concern, but you know, w- when you are passionate about something, it's not something you think about. So, you know, <laughs> it's true. I, I wasn't, it wasn't a rational purchase. It was a purchase strictly out of emotion. And you've had Lamborghinis. I've had several Lamborghinis, several Ferraris. In fact, after that 355, I kept the 355 for about two years, uh, ended up upgrading to a Ferrari 360 and then ended up going to a 430 after that. And all three of those I had delightful experiences with. Thankfully, I didn't have any major issues with. Now, the 355 was notorious for having uh, timing chain issues. Right. Um, so you would have to take it to a, to a place that could drop the engine, basically, and do the complete service. That is expensive, and that's why you'll see a lot of 355-era uh, uh, Ferraris that come up on the market fairly inexpensively now because... That owners, maintenance is a nightmare. Right, when, when it's coming up on that, that ten or 15,000-mile service, owners dump them before they have to uh, have sure. that service performed. But. You know, with all of the vehicles that I've owned, and I've owned a lot of, of really cool cars over the years, um, knock on wood, I haven't really had any bad experiences. Nothing terrible at all. Well, you know, uh, did you find the Lamborghinis to be uh, better than the uh, the Ferraris? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, the Lamborghini, since Audi purchased them, I think they have just kind of taken it to the next step as far as uh, reliability. Now, Lamborghini, if you remember back in the early 80s, was owned by Chevrolet. And I, I really can't speak to the to the um, <laughs> Isn't that odd? reliability of them back then. But yeah, there were many of the early Countaches, in fact, uh, that they would actually use uh, Chevy parts on as well. Uh, but Really? The, yeah, absolutely. But the newer model uh, Lamborghinis are all basically, par- there's a lot of parts interchangeability with Audi, the Audi R8 specifically for the Gallardo series. Now for the V12s, like the Aventador um, and... There are no, that's basically one-offs. There are no uh, parts compatibility. But no, for, for the most part, most modern supercars, for the, for the most part, and I think there's some exceptions, uh, but most modern supercars are built much better than they were sure. 20 or 25 years ago. So I think reliability as a result has also gone up fairly significantly. I still prefer the old ones. I see the Bugattis and stuff, and I said, yep. you know... That just has nothing on an 87 Testarossa That's, or yep. or an 89 Countach, like the anniversary one or whatever. The, what's that, LP500 or something like yeah, that? Yeah, the LP500. I mean, those are the – that's the exotic cars Th- to me. They are, but, you know, with, with those older cars too, you also have something that you can't get today. Uh, besides being classic, uh, you, you can't get manual transmission anymore. 
which to me kind of takes a lot of the fun oh, out. Oh gosh, you can't? No. So I'm out. Pretty much everything now, I can't, with very few exceptions, uh, pretty much everything now is paddle shift, e-gear uh, type shift. And I understand why manufacturers have done that. They've done it for uh, performance, basically. There's, sure. There's no way that a human can shift. You cannot outshift the, the automatic. Can. So the vehicle that I'm currently driving now, it's, it's a seven-speed dual clutch. And I, I can tell you from, from a shift perspective, it is so much smoother so much faster sure. uh, and so much more reliable um, than a lot of the early stuff. But to me, there's something as a, as a car guy, I love that feeling of toe and clutch and, you know, having the ability to kind of row through the gear, control the car. You can't, you just don't have that anymore. And that's something that I think is sorely missing today. It's odd for me to accept the fact that my dream car, like the Countach, my Corvette C6 is actually faster zero to sixty than that car that I perceive yep. to be the ultimate thing. But it's it's not just about about speed though, Scott. It's about style and too. look. Yes, and it look. is. Look and the Lamborghini. I mean, there are some oh, incredibly cool. cool looking exotic cars that That's are really true. slow. Lotus <laughs> that are slow. That. Yeah, I mean, if you look at like the Lotus Avoras, um, some of the some of the earlier Lotuses. Um, you know, they have a lot of the creature comforts. They're, they're newer, right. modern cars, but they, they're four-cylinders. Yeah. Um, well, we've run out of time, unfortunately, but so great to have you on the show, Larry. And we hope you'll come back you. and talk motorcycles with us next we, time. I think we could do probably many th- shows I this, think Scott. we could. Thank you so much, Larry. Larry Flexman. Scott Romine. Check out your, his website, LarryFlexman.com. Watney Unplugged. We'll see you uh, in just a few.